Hey, it's Nate here, CEO of Powder Blue Media and creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged. I want to talk to you about our Patreon account we recently set up. Now, if you're familiar with our brand, you know we're all about setting a high bar for quality content and always ensuring we clear that bar. In doing so, we believe that clicks and views should never be a priority, which is why we're strictly against featuring advertising on our website. Now, that being said, if you like what we're doing and want to support us, consider becoming a patron for as cheap as $1 a month. Depending on the tier you select, you get access to exclusive content, limited drops, special promotions, and more. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash unplugged. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash unplugged. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D. On to the show. Welcome back to the GL Review. Thanks to freestyle rapping legend Sam I Am the MC for that awesome intro theme. You can follow along with his work at Sam I Am the MC on Twitter and Instagram. For now, though, I'm Nathan Graber Lipperman, creator and editor in chief of Unplugged, as well as the CEO of Powder Blue Media, our media startup brand out of Northwestern's very own incubator, The Garage. Every Wednesday, I'm bringing you guest interviews and pop culture panelists as well as covering some of my more eclectic interests such as streetwear, entrepreneurship, and ultimate frisbee. Now, this week, I had a really awesome guest in Jacques Slade. You know, I often joke about how all my guests seem to come from the garage, but I actually reached out to Jacques for a completely different reason. If you've heard of him, it's probably because of his YouTube channel. I mean, this is a guy who's amassed a following of over a million subscribers, and nearly 170 million views on all of his videos. He's interviewed Anthony Davis and guest starred on shows like Full Size Run. But a lot of people don't know, he's also appeared in movies like Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, as well as, coincidentally, my favorite television show of all time, Community. So I'm breaking news here a little bit, but depending on when all the interviews line up, sometime in the beginning of September, we here at Unplug will be running a special week dubbed Greendale Human Beings Week, where we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the pilot episode for Community. So, like, if you know me, again, you know that Community is my all-time favorite show, and this is a project well in the making. When I started reaching out to members of the cast and crew, though, I surprisingly found Jacques, who I knew from his YouTube channel, but I honestly had no idea that he was involved with the show. Turns out his publicist was one of the first ones to respond. Uh, Funny story, actually, though. Um, Donald Glover's publicist responded first and actually told me that they're not scheduling any press for Donald until he's done touring in October. To that, I pretty much just said, cheers, but I did send a follow-up email saying something about like, oh, I'd love to talk at the end of October, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But um, anyway, yeah, I've been communicating with Jacques' publicist for a couple weeks now, and while that angle I was first approaching originally centered around exploring communities run through the eyes of you know, someone involved in the early stages, I decided to expand the interview a little bit to a full-on podcast with Mr. Slade. 
I mean, he, he's an awesome force in the entertainment space, after all, and I think you'll find him just as fascinating as I did. But in any event, any listeners of the pod know that I usually take a couple minutes in the beginning to talk about our journey and what's happening here with Unplugged. For me, outside this interview, it's really just go time. If you've been listening, you know that we've been participating in the Garage's Wildfire program, which will be coming to a close next week. It all culminates in a pitch day for a prize pool of $10,000. I'll be pitching in front of a panel of judges in the morning and audience around 150 in the afternoon. So, well, (laughs) wish me luck. But, I mean, looking at the summer, our whole thing was that we really wanted to hammer home what the business plan of this thing was. We've, we've made a lot of progress in developing our revenue streams and brand identity of late. So, you know, regarding the former, we're looking at a four-headed monster, merch sales, special events, presenting sponsors, which we actually have a lot of awesome partnership lined up. Excuse me, partnerships lined up that I can't announce just yet. And oh yeah, of course, Patreon support from folks such as yourselves. Regarding the latter, though, the brand identity, we've made huge strides in developing this. So... For the boiled down version, here's the pitch. We've made awesome long form content in the past and everyone we've talked to has really enjoyed the user experience when they log on, but we wanna be more than that. In the wake of unhealthy social media and general internet consumption habits reigning supreme, we wanna promote real peer-to-peer interactions on topics people are passionate about. We wanna foster engaging conversations as opposed to recycling the mainstream narratives and tired talking points. We want to change the word unplugged from an adjective into a noun. For us, an unplugged is one of those real in-person conversations. Yeah, in supporting this endeavor, we realize that we're asking people to log off the very fabric in which we exist. But the delivery may be digital. In reality, though, we're actively encouraging a non-digital, hyperactive, communicative environment. We're pretty much making the transition from being a media company into a lifestyle company that happens to make media. How's that for a pitch? (laughs) But you can tell I've been practicing a little bit. Today, actually, I just sat down in the garage and uh, left brain one of the small conference rooms and wrote out the entire like story behind it on a whiteboard. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna gonna have to put a lot of practice into it. That's the kind of thing that for a class project, eh, you know, I wing it. I practice a little bit the night before and do it as I will. But there's a little bit more riding on the line here. And uh, I I think we owe it to ourselves to really give it a real shot. But anyway, overall, we'd love for you to join us on our mission. So we're asking you just share one of our articles, newsletters, podcasts with friends or family. Talk about it. Talk about the points being raised. And doing so, take time to formulate your own opinions. Come out to our events this upcoming fall, too, and take part in the various panels, shows. We have a lot of awesome things planned in the works. More importantly, though, go out and organize your own Unplugged. Go be you. I threw a lot at you all, but hey, I'm going to be pretty much off the grid this next week preparing for this pitch, so there's definitely more than enough to stew over, right? (laughs) On our end, there's a lot of great reads going up on the site. Kareem Nirani wrote about why Joe Rogan would actually make a great moderator for the presidential debates. It's crazy to me that in 2019, Rogan is the ultimate source of reason in this world. But hey, I digress. (laughs) Great work by Kareem, as always. Also, I wrote about the decision of employees over at The Ringer to form a union. This is a trend that we're seeing pop up more and more in recent years, and after Dave Portnoy made his incredibly stupid comments on Twitter, 
You know all this ain't going away anytime soon. Go check that piece out. And finally, too, look out for a new episode of Whistles this Friday. If you don't know, Jeremy Larkin, Jake Saunders, and Jared Thomas, three guys on the Northwestern football team, are balling out with Whistles, their inside look at the student-athlete lifestyle. This week, Jeremy and Jared bring on rising sophomores Greg Newsom and Isaiah Bowser to talk about how they were able to take on such heavy workloads from an early time. You can subscribe that to that on your favorite podcast streaming platforms over at anchor.fm slash whistles podcast. And yeah, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at ByNateGL. Log on to the website at beunplugged.com and follow on social media at unplugged. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D. And yeah, that's all I got. Here's Jacques Slade. So I'm here with Jacques Slade. You may know him as at Cousteau on social media, along with his popular YouTube channel, which has amassed over a million subscribers and near 170 million views. Along with his clear affinity for sneakers, Jacques also loves technology, music, and pop culture. Jacques, how's it going today? Uh, It's going well. Really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, starting off, you know, I did the natural thing any interviewer would do. I scrolled all the way down your YouTube channel to find the first video you ever posted. So here's my first question for you. What was the original video you posted on your YouTube channel? Gosh, that's a great question. I think it was, I think it was a rap video um, mm-hmm. that I did. That, that, uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I wanted to be a rapper when I was younger, and um, I paid for a rap video to happen. Uh-huh. And uh, I, think that, I think that's the first video. I'm almost sure, yeah. It was Get Your Hands Up. Yes, get your hands up. Exactly. Yes. That's so funny. I got to say, if you go back, there are some positive comments in the comment section, something that's not common on YouTube. But uh, there are people calling for the return of KU. Are they really? That's, that's <laughs> funny. Most, most people today don't, don't know about, about that side of me, the rap side. And, uh, but, not, but now that you say that, I want to go back and look and see what the comments are like for that video. I wonder how many people have scrolled through. <laughs> to the beginning to see uh to see the first video on my channel that's hilarious mm-hmm. so yeah and here, here's a follow-up question to it what day did you first upload that video oh god that i i don't know the answer to that question that that yeah yeah so it was, I, I, I would i would love to hear that <laughs> february 12th 2006 wow <laughs> wow goodness gracious 13 years ago wow yeah, so I mean, this was back when YouTube was first beginning, and as an artist, you went by the name of KU, the first two letters in Cousteau, which, by the yeah. way, that's a reference to Jacques Cousteau, right? That, that is a reference to Jacques Cousteau. Mm-hmm. So is Jacques Cousteau the second most famous Jacques after you, or what? Like, what's the order there? Uh, I, I, I would say Jacques Cousteau is the most famous, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm somewhere down in the, the, the 25 to 30 range. Yeah. <laughs> famous Jacques. But uh, yeah, so you adopt YouTube pretty early on, but you didn't really start posting videos about sneakers until six years ago, roughly. And I also right. had an interview where you said you didn't turn it into a sneaker channel until you got fired from your job. So what was the situation there? What was the job you were referencing? Oh, so I was I was working uh, at, at a at a uh, at a sneaker publication, and um, there was from back and forth about an appearance on ESPN. And uh, my my boss at the time felt 
that I wasn't the appropriate person to go on ESPN, even though I was <laughs> the person that was asked to go on ESPN. And um, the resulting, uh, the result of that was that I was terminated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that'll do it. Um, well, we'll definitely yeah. get into <laughs> we'll definitely get into the the career on YouTube in a bit. But um, I mean, back to the mid two thousands. So you're an aspiring rapper, but as you admitted on full size around this past January, a career in rap wasn't really in the cards for you. You do put out an right. album, however, and a movie exec, some sort of entertainment exec, picks up on it and hires you to teach actors in his or her film on how to pretend to be rappers. Is this a true story? Yes, yes. So that's definitely a true story. So um, some, I, I did the album. It didn't do very well. Uh, it did terrible, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it, got, it started getting picked up for film and television stuff. And um, there was a film coming out called Drillbit Taylor, and in the in the movie, there's a freestyle scene between three of the kids, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was hired to coach the actors on on how to freestyle or how to how to rap. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, looking. That, sorry, what were you say? Oh no, no, go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm, I was just gonna say, you know, looking back on it, uh, how would you rate the rapping abilities? Oh no, they were actually pretty good. I mean, these guys are really good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, they picked it up, they picked it up pretty quickly and, and got right into it without, without hesitation. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Okay. So through that too, you met someone working on walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. So first off, right off the bat is walk hard. One of the most underappreciated movies of all time. 100. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing parody but it never got the love that mm-hmm. it deserved, yep. which, which made me so mad. I really wish people had, um, had a really, really had a chance to see it. It was just one, it was one of those movies. I think it just came out at the wrong time. Yep. Um, it came out, it came out right around Christmas. And I, I just don't think that, that people really appreciated movie as as much as they should have i mean it was it was an epic movie it's hilarious super super funny the music in it is great like it it was just like it was like a perfect storm for a movie and it just didn't it just didn't didn't resonate with with uh with the public but like the flip side of that is when you see people talk about it now when people talk about it in retrospect they love it they're like, oh my god, that oh, was yeah. so funny. I love, I loved Walk Hard. It was so good. But that's you know after the fact, and everyone's gotten to see it on TV, but they just didn't see it at the movie, which you know, mm-hmm. which is you know where every you know it has to be seen in order for it to to gain like the mass public approval and mass public appeal. But it's it's definitely a cult hit, and and people yeah. people love it. No, I, I gotta say when it, it comes on like cable, I mean, yeah, cable is dying and all that. But like at least when I was younger, when it come on, like every time the scenes with Jonah Hill's ghost, like those always got me. Um, yeah, it was so good. But um, yeah, and here's here's a quick question I got for you too. Well, of course, you you play the rapper who's instrumental in the end in um, bringing Dewey Cox back into the limelight, right? That's correct. Yeah, what was it like working with John C. Riley too? Uh, it was actually it was actually pretty cool. He came. Um, I only saw him once when he came on set, and uh, he was like, "Yo, I love the song," which obviously was super cool for me. Like mm-hmm. it was like my first movie, 
um, you know, first time getting something like that, and for him to be like, "Oh, I love, I love the song that you wrote." I was just like, "Oh, thank <laughs> that's you, your yeah. voice." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whatever you say. And so, um, like he he knew some of the lyrics of the song, so he like pulled some of the lyrics. He asked for clarification on some of the lyrics, and I was just like, "Oh man, like this is incredible! Like this is just a moment that I never really expected to happen." So mm-hmm. it, was, it was definitely really cool. Yeah. And so not to harp on, you know, walk hard too much, but, you know, I was thinking, where does it rank among music mockumentaries? Because you had that 2000s era run where there was like a bunch of realistic uh, music documentary or like, you know, not documentaries, but uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like live action, you know, retellings. Uh, You had like the one on Johnny Cash, this and that. And then to your point, too, about walk hard, maybe coming out at the wrong time. You know, this is right when those were huge. Versus like pop star, the Lonely Islands mockumentary comes to mind as like ten years later, so uh, as pretty effective. But yeah, like I was trying to think where Walk Hard ranks among music mockumentaries. Only things that came to mind were this is Spinal Tap and Pop Star. I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah, I mean those. Yeah, Spinal Tap is probably like the bar. I think mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like I think that's like that's the bar for like the the funniest of them all. Um, but it just it was just. I don't know. I mean, I would say it's in the top five. I, I, if people really got a chance to see it, I think they would they would love it more more than they expect. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah. So you know, your career starts to it starts to pick up a little bit. You you have this niche, this uh, music side of the entertainment world, and you turn the walk hard gig into a stint with Community. And out of your four appearances on the season one soundtrack, I had Pierce Ear B, Pierce Raps, Nightcap, and I Never Die. Which would you say is your favorite? Um, probably night. Uh, probably nightcap. Just because it okay. was so it was just so ridiculous. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like it was like it was like this like super energetic hip hop rap song about about going to sleep. And <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like the energy is just, the energy is just crazy. So I, I, it's always like funny. I actually just listened to it uh, a few days ago and. It's, it's just like it's just funny yeah is anything more emblematic of like community as a whole you know just like something super serious about something so silly yeah and i mean and like that's what you know that's what community was kind of built on like that premise of like these super serious things but done in a, in a super funny way shout out to shout out to dan Harmon. yeah um definitely want to touch on dan in a bit but also uh so i had to say in regards to those four like i, I love both uh, from the episode with Eric Olson's character, Vaughn, the, both the Pierce ones, especially when you show up at the end with Pierce raps. But oh, I, gotta, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta say that the scene where Ken Jong walks in with, I never die blaring. That's, that's all time for the show for me. Yeah, that was good. That was good. The, uh, that's the Spanish class, right? When he was yeah. He's Spanish got the class. fake actress who like, he fakes his own death and then he walks in and is like, Lesson number one from Spanish 102, I can never die. <laughs> yep. yep, yep. That, that's where the song came from, like from that moment. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking at that cast and crew of Community, I mean, look, it, it was absolutely stacked in retrospect. You know, Dan Harmon goes on to create Rick and Morty. The Russo brothers direct the biggest movie franchise of all time. Donald Glover becomes a worldwide phenomenon. Allison Brie blows up. Ken Jong is Ken Jong. People don't even realize that like Ludwig Göransson was producer. You know, he's a producer behind This Is America, Black Panther soundtrack. He was working on the show. 
what memories stand out wow. to you? I, it's it's ridiculous, but like, what memories stand out to you the most when you you look back at that first season of Community? Um, you know, you know, for me, it was it was such a blur just because I was it was something that I was a part of, right? And like, I I like I never, you know. I, I just never expected to be a part of a show that's on television. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like as, as cool as it was to be a part of it, I didn't really have a chance to really t- kind of take it in just because I was just so excited to be a part of it. So it's really all, a lot of it is a blur to me just being super excited that I was there and being able to be on set sometimes and then sitting down to watch an episode and seeing the song that I wrote, like, appear on the TV show and like that, that energy and like, like, so all of that is kind of weird. I guess my work, my just because I was so excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it has this, ends up having the six season run. The movie is, uh, yet to happen though. Hashtag six seasons <laughs> a movie. We'll see. Six seasons a movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, is there a reason you think that community seems to just fly under the radar to this day? Because, I mean, it always had a niche cult-esque following, but it still never seems to have breaking, broken into that mainstream conscious. Yeah, I, I felt like there were moments when it when it was going to, like they, like they did certain episodes, and you'd be like, all right, people are really going to get into it now. Um, but it just never kind of broke broke that mold. It's almost like, it's almost like Freaks and Geeks, but it went on for six seasons. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like one of those things where Freaks and Geeks is like, critically acclaimed and people loved it, but it just didn't have a huge audience. And I kind of feel that's where community is just like, it, it could have been bigger. Um, there was an opportunity for it to be bigger, but it just, like, it just couldn't grab on. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of look at like where all the people involved with it have ended up, it, w- it was almost like a, a stepping stone for a whole, you know, slew of folks, right? Like it was kind of yeah. the first step to uh, really becoming Hollywood royalty. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people are um, that that were on that show have, have gone on to be. You know, we see Allison Breeze everywhere. Uh, obviously, Donald Glover is everywhere. Um, so you know, like even like you said, Dan went on to do uh, Rick and Morty. So you see, like all a lot of the people that were attached to the show have gone on and have bigger roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, are, are you a Rick and Morty fan? By the way, uh, I'm a Casual, Rick and casual fan. fan. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I, I definitely need. I thought I just started paying more attention recently. Mm-hmm. It's one of these things that, like, at first you're like, "Why the hell do people like this?" But you know, it, it starts to. I'm not going to be one of these annoying internet fans that says it's like it's genius. It should be in the Louvre, but you know, it's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's really good. I think it's really good. Like I. I the fact that I am not really super into it, I don't think that uh, I don't want that to discount or take away from it. I think it's really it's it's really well done, and like the storytelling is something that's done really well. Um, I think you know Dan Dan is is, is a really good storyteller, mm-hmm. and um, I, like that's something that that I I, I appreciate. And later later being kind of disconnected from community and seeing the other things that he's done, like there's definitely appreciation for, for, for Dan's storytelling. Yeah. I think there, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but there's some sort of like theory he has towards like writing and he, he's a very big on prioritizing the story over pretty much everything. Yep. Um, Yep. Over everything. 
But yeah, okay, kind of circling back to the top, uh, at what point do you kind of transition away from this music slash entertainment role in this capacity? Because I do understand you did some work for Neighbors 2 with a cover of Black Skinhead as well. So yeah. is this correct? Yeah, that, that, is, that is correct as well. Gotcha. Um, I don't think I've ever really gone away from music. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just, the other, other things really took, uh, took precedent over them. Um, uh, I, I definitely would, you know, would still love to do more in the sneaker world. I mean, in the music world. Um, but it's just like those things really kind of took precedence over everything else. It was more about like paying the bills kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I, I definitely makes sense for sure. Uh, we can touch on, you know, we're going to touch on this transition into sneakers a little bit, but, um, not the full transition, as you said. But um, my, my one question I had to ask regarding Black Skinhead, you know, here's a question. Where does this rank on the list of all-time best Kanye beats? Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is like a podcast in of itself. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that... Um, I'd really have to kind of really think through Kanye's music to, 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 to give a, an accurate judgment on that. Because mm-hmm. um, Kanye... I mean, Kanye has done some amazing stuff for himself and others. Absolutely. So that's a that's that's a that's a tough one. I don't. I'd, I'd have to really kind of catalog those to say for sure where that ranked. But it's it's definitely up there. It's definitely one of those that you just like. It's undeniable. Yeah. No. Uh, it's a question for another podcast. But um, I still sure. think <laughs> I think Power's number one for sure from my standpoint. But I don't know. I've I've, I've, I've looked yeah. through this a little bit. But, um, there you go. so yeah, kind of getting into sneakers, right? So what's your background with kind of the, the culture as a whole? Um, uh, a basketball fan first, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, somebody that just grew up loving basketball. Uh, it was, you know, literally my, my favorite sport ever. It's my favorite sport ever continues to be like my older cousin played. I idolized my older cousin when I was younger. He was really good at basketball. So I was like, there was like this in my family, there was like an older set of like cousins and kids. And then there was like the middle set of cousins and kids. And I was in that middle set and, um, all the older cousins, like they, they were like who everyone, all the younger kids like looked up to and wanted to be. Uh, fashion-wise, basketball-wise, school-wise. So, like, they were the people that we all wanted to be. And my, one of the, the top of that was my older cousin, and he played basketball. And him and the people around him, they played basketball in our neighborhood. So they all wore cool sneakers when they played basketball. Like, and they were dunking. And this was, you know, when I was super young. So, like, to see them dunk and to see how well they played and how fast they were and, like, talking trash to each other. Mm-hmm. So all of that energy and, and made us, the, that middle generation of cousins, want to be like them from what they wore um, to the shoes that they wore. And uh, a big part of my love for sneakers was sparked out of seeing the shoes that my cousin and all his friends wore when they played basketball and wanting to get my hands on those so I could, you know, technically play basketball like them. Obviously, mm-hmm. obviously, we know sneak, sneakers don't make you any better at basketball, but <laughs> they, uh, they, <laughs> they definitely um, grew my love for sneakers from just watching them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I, I know, obviously, basketball has been a big influence on uh, a lot of sneakerheads. And like I myself got my first pair of Jordans when I was like nine or so. So 
Well, I mean, what would you say, obviously basketball being such a big influence for you individually, I mean, also, what would you say was that, like, first pair of sneakers that got you hooked? Uh, the first pair of sneakers that got me hooked? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say the first pair of sneakers that got me hooked would probably be the Air Jordan 11. Okay. It was probably the first sneaker that, that got me, like, like oh, man, I'm like, this is amazing. Um, but the first sneaker, I think, that really just kind of blew my mind is the uh, the Air Max 95. Um, I remember seeing it in a store and just being blown away mm-hmm. by um, by the shoe. Just like the, the design of it, the colors, like all of it just kind of kind of just like shocked me. I was like, oh man, what is that? Like it stopped me in my tracks. Um, so I guess there's that's the two parts to, to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, kind of also just looking at, you know, you're not someone who likes to uh, hold yourself and define yourself to specific things. You're not just the sneaker YouTuber. You're doing so many different ventures and exploring so many different industries. So, like, there's a buzzword that I find is thrown around a lot of the time nowadays, especially in the startup world. And this buzzword is brand. So, like, in all seriousness, though, how would you describe your personal brand? Um, that's a great question. When, when, I, when I think of my, my brand, um, I guess the hope for me is that it's, um, that it's some, that it's somebody that's relatable. Like I try not to present myself in a way that because I have all these sneakers or because I've done these things that it makes me any different than anybody else. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And mm-hmm. I struggle with, with things just like everybody else. And so I try, that's what I try to make my brand that, um, that I'm just me. I'm not, not trying to be anybody else. And, um, and I want to encourage you to be you, to be the best version of you and do whatever it is you need to do, um, to be better and to reach your goals. Um, Mm -hmm. so I I guess that, that, that would be my brand. Just, uh, I'm, I'm a regular person who's extremely grateful and, and feels super lucky that he's able to do um, the things that he loves and make a living from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's great. Uh, great, great to hear from, you know, I, I think there can sometimes be a disconnect in this uh, with the advent of social media and platforms like YouTube of people you know, selling out and thinking they're better than the average Joe. So it's it's always nice to hear that. Uh, you know, there are there are earnest folks out there. There are people just like <laughs> just like the average Joe, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but in, in kind of wrapping up, uh, you're now hosting Restock with Complex, chopping up with people like Anthony Davis. Uh, you also start a new yeah. show on your own channel called Hard Pass. Um, yeah. How would you define these two shows and like how you're splitting up the time to be able to work on all these different projects? Um, I, I would describe restock as a show um, that kind of, kind of what we were just talking about when it comes to the brand is just like, yeah, we're starting with sneakers and starting with like pop culture, but really just like getting to know people on a one-to-one basis. Like I just want to have, like honest conversations with people um, about about their lives, about what it took for them to get where they are. What are their fears? What are the things that make them happy? 
What are the things that make them sad? What are the things that push them? What are the things that, you know, disappoint them? Like, I really want it to be, um, you know, I want, want, I want Restock to be a show that resonates with, with people to show, like, that these are, these are these huge stars. Yes, they're huge stars. And, but at the same time, they're regular people. Um, mm-hmm. like we, were, we were lucky enough, like, even with Anthony Davis, uh, during that interview, he talked about, like, mental health and, and yeah. how social media affects basketball players. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not something, you know, that's not a conversation that you usually have. But in that same conversation, you know, we talked about his love for Jordan 1. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, really, my, I guess my goal is to show that these people are more than just the one thing that we see them as. Yes, he's a basketball player, but he's also human. You know, he's mm-hmm. also he's also he's also scared of of clowns and scared <laughs> of the dark. So you know, just being able to tell those bigger those bigger stories about people, um, because I I think in like you said in today's world with social media, there's generally you only see one side of things. You only see the good. You don't necessarily see the bad. You don't see the struggle a lot. And I think it's important that we relay the conversation around that struggle, that struggle as well. Um, so that people don't feel alone. So people don't feel like they're less than because they're not living the life that they see other people living on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there is more to life outside of social media. And if we can help tell those stories and, you know, and still be entertaining and fun and funny um, at the same time, I think, I think that that's worth it. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, complex was able you know complex to seize that vision and then walks along with that vision and you know we were you know we're sponsored by ruffles which is which is awesome so shout out to ruffles for believing in that vision as well and walking along that line of you know knowing that we're creating something different we're not just giving the i try we're not getting like the empty pop culture stuff away mm-hmm. uh we're trying to build you know we're trying to do something that that's a little more meaningful but obviously still be entertaining as well mm-hmm no, uh, this is all kind of music to my ears. I'm actually, uh, so I'm working on this site, of course, we're publishing Community Week on and this podcast uh, called Unplugged, and we're pitching in roughly nine days for a uh, prize pool of $10,000, so high stakes a little bit, right. but um, that's that's kind of where we've come to. It's like, as we've tried to develop our voice, our, our unique tone um, in this pretty crowded internet sphere, and you know, in the two years I've been working on this, uh, it was like our brand was kind of just, we make long form stories that are, they're quality, they're solid, but that was kind of it. But in, in really like going through this all, like chopping it up bit by bit and taking it, looking at it, it's, that's what, that's what we come back to. We, we want people, we, we want to change unplugged from just an adjective to a noun. It's like, it means, you know, going, fostering real conversations with real people, going away from just mainstream narratives. And, you know, that that's our that's our main goal, kind of coming back to that noun aspect. It's like one day you'll be walking up to someone and say like, hey, you want to have an unplugged? And it means just to have a conversation, you know, off off the record, just go talk about things you're passionate about in culture and life. But um, yeah, so definitely awesome to see you all. Uh, doing that over at complex and it aligning with your uh, vision and whatnot. Um, But yeah. So I mean, also looking specifically at your channel. So, you know, with, with hard pass, something you launched recently, how would you define this show and how does it differ from the rest of your uploads? 
uh, it's different because it's more of a, uh, in the style of like a nighttime, like a, like a nighttime talk show, mm-hmm. um, where it's just me at a desk kind of riffing on things that I have an opinion about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's definitely different than the general unboxing and stuff that I, that I do on my channel. And I think it, it, it allows me one to have a little bit more personality and, um, also I think allows me to, to highlight things that I think people can think about a little bit more objectively and try to turn the, the, the consumer side of sneakers and the consumerism of it into, and show people more of the passion points that are involved with mm-hmm. sneakers and the culture around sneakers. Um, and then also show that, that I'm into more than just sneakers. Like, I'm yeah. into cartoons and I'm into technology and the cameras and the sports and all of those things. So it allows me to show that those different sides of, of me as well. Um, and then show people that I can put together a talk show in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and see where, where that leads and what opportunities that begets. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, that 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 makes a lot of sense, and I, I've loved watching it uh, up until this point. Um, ki- kind of uh, going a little bit of a different direction. So you said on full size run, you know, we've talked about the sneaker culture and whatnot throughout this, but uh, you said on full size run that you've never resold a pair of sneakers in your entire life. Is this true? Right, that is true. Okay, wow. So what's is there any reasoning behind that, or is it just a personal decision, or what? Uh, it was just a personal decision. Um, I just don't, I don't feel the need to resell a pair of sneakers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather give them to somebody that needs them than to, than to resell them. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up in the, in the most, in the wealthiest of households. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, I remember like these churches would go around and they would have like these wrapped presents and they would bring them to the houses of people that they know couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, my household happened to be one of those. So like that, that is something that sits with me and I remember that. And so I, I choose not to do it and I'll give away sneakers. Um, I'll give them to my church or, um, I'll give them to the Goodwill that's here locally or just give them to friends and family that I know that were the same size that I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it, that's it's a really, really good point. Um, it, it's something we've talked about a lot on our shows just in terms of, um, you know, like sneaker reselling has obviously always been there, but with something like StockX becoming a billion-dollar company, you know, and uh, having all this VC money and they're putting out their own original content, uh, it's become such a large part and, like, glorified part of the culture that a lot of sneakerheads have kind of, like, accepted that as... Um, as part of it, but uh, it's yeah. definitely interesting to hear your mentality on it, um, for sure. And uh, one of the places I actually kind of saw that physical manifestation of StockX was at ComplexCon this past uh, month in downtown in Chicago. Oh, yeah. uh, I headed over. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that and whatnot, but before any of that, I mean, I got to ask, you know, I met Fomer Simpson at ComplexCon. We were talking, and then, like, eventually I was like, hey, you know, I'll give him my business card. And he was like, oh, I'd love to come on your podcast. And he hasn't emailed me back. What's up with that? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let that go between you and Fomer. <laughs> I imagine 
I imagine he just hasn't seen it. Fulmer is one of the most stand-up guys in the sneaker world. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, if, and, and if he hasn't, uh, if he hasn't gotten back to you, I'm sure uh, it's just been it's been lost in translation. He, he's not that type of guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was more just an elaborate lead into my uh, next question. Uh, you know, you can give me the political answer, but come on, we know you got a horse in this race. <laughs> Who's the best sneaker YouTuber in the game right now? Uh, Palmer. Okay, wow. Palmer's the best, yeah. Just, just full stop? Yeah, full stop. Palmer, Palmer's, Palmer's the best sneaker YouTuber. Uh, Nightwing is probably the best mm-hmm. reviewer as far as a, from a performance standpoint goes. Um, yeah, I, w- I, would, I, would give it to, I would give it to those two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's fair. It's changed. You've changed your tune a little bit since uh, January on full size run, but um, what? Wait, what did I say in January? You, was it, was it? you said there is no, there is no best. There's just people do different things, and uh, you go to different YouTubers for different opinions on things. So I guess you know, in some yeah. regards, Fomer and uh, Nightwing have their own niches. But I was, I was expecting, yeah. you know, at Custo, like that's the greatest. You know, just the really uh, affirmative. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disagree that I'm that uh, that I have a talent and a passion for what I do. Um, mm-hmm. But I would, I wouldn't consider, I wouldn't consider myself the best. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, couple last questions as I'm wrapping up. So, I mean, I gotta ask, what's what's your favorite sneaker you own? Uh, my favorite sneaker I own is the Air Jordan Eleven. Uh, it's still, it's, that's that's always going to be like my favorite sneaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Air Jordan One. Um, I love Adidas Sheltos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love I love the Converse Chuck Taylor. Those are like the four sneakers that um, that I would say I love the most. Gotcha. Okay, so with the Eleven, so I'm trying to think. My run, I've owned a pair of Gammas, Space Jams, and Breads. Just over time, uh, I, I grew out of some of them though. So I actually. So, so here, here's a question <laughs> I'll riff for a little bit, but from, I've always despised reselling, right. From a like sneaker purist standpoint. But like when I was younger, I would get sneakers and like, for example, I got a pair of gamma blues, um, wore them for like, I, I don't know, probably like 30 times, kept them in really nice condition. And then I ended up reselling them for the same price. I bought them because my foot, uh, my foot grew. So like, is that a fair example of reselling or no? Uh, I think that'd be a fair example of reselling. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think I'm, that'd be reselling sneakers. Yeah, you you can just go out and judge my character right now too. I'm all for it, but uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no, I was advocating like, I for it. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> like, I have no, no qualms. No qualms. With people that sell sneakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the best. You do the best. Do it. If you, if you, if that's yeah. how you make money, or that's the avenue you need to go do it like i made the decision not to but that's just that's more of a personal decision yeah that's that's not a that's not a judgment on the culture at all yeah absolutely no (laughs) but okay so i'd have to go i i had to ask what's you know you said you love the 11s and the other three as well but what's what's your favorite colorway of 11s of the 11s um it has to be the black and red like it's just Mm -hmm. yeah like that that's the first one that that I had. And so it's, it's always going to be the black and red color. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and, and finally with all this, so what's, what's next for Jacques Slade? Um, that's a great question. Um, uh, I don't know. 
I, I think that um, because I've been able to do what I've been able to do between YouTube and like the stuff that I did with community and, and all of those things, the way um, the way I kind of look towards the future is um, is that it's wide open. Like I'd love mm-hmm. to do, um, I'd love to be on a sitcom. Um, I'd love to do a movie. I'd love to host a, a show. Uh, I, I'd love to continue growing on YouTube. I'd love to to direct uh, a TV show. Um, there's like, there's so many things that, that I think I would love to do. And I think that the future is, is wide open. Um, I, I'm, I feel very blessed and lucky that I'm able to do what I'm able to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'll, I'll go where, where that leads me. Um, as long as it's something that I feel that I, that I can, that I can do a good job at. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely, you know, again, I'm blessed to do what I can do and whatever, whatever God has for me to do, whether that's hosting, you know, a show on like good morning America, or, you know, he has me playing alongside the rock and Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw five, you know, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely open for it. Yeah. How, how many of those do you think they can make like reasonably Hobbs and Shaw? Hobbs and is. Shaw? Yeah. I think I think they've got three. I think they've got three in them. Mm-hmm. That's the over under. Yeah, yeah. I think they I think they can get three out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's probably going to be a crossover. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll take I'll take the under on that one. So then, if we ever do another <laughs> podcast, uh, we can reapproach that. Um, but there you any, go. There you go. Anyway, Jacques, I know we're out of time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You can follow Mr. Slade on Twitter at Cousteau. That's K U S T O O. Jacques, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure as well. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. That's it. Thanks so much for Jacques for coming on. Look out for our community themed week in the beginning of September for more behind the scenes looks from cast and crew members alike. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at ByNHEL, and you can follow Unplugged at Unplugged. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Till next time, see ya.